Good morning. Good morning. I want to say a special thank you to the team today as well for their uh, outstanding job of leading us. Some days are more challenging than others. We're so grateful for them. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the last two years, uh, people have been putting up their Christmas decorations earlier than usual. How many of you already have yours up? This is not a shame thing. We're, I'm very proud of you. Very nice. Very nice. You're helping me prove my point. <laughs> Both last year and this year, people have just kind of reached into their basement, dug out that big tote of all kinds of little things that you've collected over the years that have just the certain spot to go in your house. And when you put them up, they just kind of give you this great sense of joy. I heard a, a, an interview this week with a lighting expert who said that while most people wait until Remembrance Day to put up their lights, they're starting to see people coming in earlier and earlier, as early as July, to kind of put together a plan for their lighting of their home, kind of creating some new designs. And his summary was people are putting their lights up earlier and they're keeping them up longer. Then they introduced, uh, interviewed a psychiatrist who said, why are they doing this? Why are we putting our lights up earlier and keeping them up longer? And he said, cultural rituals are important to people because they're stable they're positive, and they're normalizing. Stable, positive, and normalizing. Almost insinuating that maybe we need some stability, some positivity, and some normal in our lives. He said Christmas decorations invoke positive memories for a lot of people. And then he said, who couldn't use a little positivity right now? Let's face it, the expectations of Christmas, the rituals of decorations, and opening old boxes brings back lots of great memories, and it brings us a real sense of joy. And maybe even as you were here today and you saw how lovely decorated the stages and the, and the foyer, uh, you know, we are fortunate here at Rivercross. We have two of the absolute best world-famous decorators uh, that there ever were who were here all week kind of creating this space. They're available to you. You can you'll watch for their billboard on Rossi Avenue. Uh, the Property Brothers, and uh, they will come and kind of bring this special touch uh, to your home as well. Well, our Advent series this year is about joy. We're going to be talking about joy, but more specifically talking about how joy is sometimes found in places that we wouldn't expect it, which is what makes joy unique. Joy is different from, from fun and it's different from pleasure. Both fun and pleasure require something specific. You go to the beach and you have fun. It's a sunny day. You're swimming. It's wonderful. But you need the beach and you need the sunshine. You go out for a great meal and you experience pleasure. But you need the great meal in order for there to be that pleasure. They require something specific. And they're temporary. The sun eventually goes down, it gets cold, and your car gets filled with sand, and the beach is no longer any fun. Uh, the meal is over, and you get this bill that now you have to pay and cash, fork out this cash, and suddenly the pleasure is over. And then it leaves you, all right, I need the next beach day, I need the next great meal, in order to keep the fun and the pleasure going. Joy is different. And this is so important as we work through these series over these next four weeks that you remember that joy is found as a byproduct of something else, which means you do not seek joy. You seek something else and the fruit back to you. The result in your life is joy. In fact, the scriptures speak that when the spirit is active in our life, one of the products, one of the consequences of that is joy. 
You, do, you send your direction this way, and in return, you get joy. This is an idea so consistent with discipleship, with wanting to follow Jesus with our life, understanding how it is that God works in our life. So maybe an analogy will help. Uh, I stole this from my daughter's bedroom. Annalise, if you're watching, my apologies. Uh, this is a fake Christmas tree. It's lovely, isn't it? It's nicely decorated. Uh, it's nice and green. There's no kind of dead needles on it at all. But it's dead. It's not alive. And if I want to make this better, I have to work hard and I have to put things on it. And I get to add things to the exterior of it that will make the exterior of it look better. But at the end of the day, it's dead. And it will look the same the rest of its life. This is an orchid, which I took from our dining room. Um, this is alive. And if you stare at it, you will not see a lot happening. We could put it here on the table, and those of you online and us here, we could spend the next 12 hours watching this plant, and we won't notice a whole lot of difference. But it's alive. Now, unlike the Christmas tree, if I want this to change, I don't add things to it. I don't kind of go to my little craft drawer and make some paper mache and make a little flowers to go on it. If I want it to become prettier and lovelier, I don't do that kind of work to the exterior of it. Instead, I direct my energies towards making sure that the soil is right, making sure it's getting enough sunlight, and making sure that it's getting some water. Put a little ice cube in there, just let it sit, all will be great. If I put my energy and direction in those things, then the result will be a flower. The result will be it will get better, it will get prettier, and there will be more signs of life which is similar to the life of being a Christian, of being a disciple. We don't try to change the exterior of our lives by making ourselves look better or seeking to be more perfect or trying to be a better Christian or trying to look more holy on the outside. We direct our energy into ways and places that where the fruit will be born in our life that God brings about supernaturally through His work. We place ourselves in circumstances and in situations where the external power of God becomes at work in us. And the fruit, the consequence, the result is, one of them, joy. That we will experience joy. Now, there's a few passages in the Gospels that when we read them, and you probably would never say that because you're way more spiritual than I am, but in my head when I read them, I think Jesus didn't really mean what he said. He was just being nice. He was exaggerating. He was being hyperbolic. Uh, one of them comes from, is found in John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples. He's preparing them for when he's gone. And he says to them, when I go... You will do greater things than I did. To which we all just thought, oh, he was just trying to encourage the disciples. He didn't really mean that. I mean, how could they do better things than Jesus did, right? I mean, it'd be like today if I decided to pick up the cello, and I brought the cello up here, and I got the bow, and I just started going at it and playing and playing and playing, and Yo-Yo Ma, the world-famous cellist, was sitting right beside me, and he said to me, you know, Rob, you keep at it, and you're going to be better than me someday. I would know he's not on, being honest with me. He's just being nice. He's just exaggerating and trying to spare my feelings and trying just to kind of be encouraging. Is that what Jesus is doing in this passage? 
There's another passage, the one I want us to think about today. John chapter 15, verses 9 to 11. Let me read it for you. As the Father, this is Jesus speaking, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy could be complete. Now, when I read that, I think, really? Jesus is going to give me his joy, and when he does, my joy will be complete. It will be whole. It will be satisfying. Has that been your experience? Have you had moments like that where Jesus' joy is so overwhelming that it gives you a sense of completeness? This is the offer. Was he exaggerating? Was Jesus just kind of being nice? Or did he truly mean that you and I today can put ourselves in circumstances where we can be the recipients of the joy of Jesus in our own hearts? Now, there's three things in this passage um, that Jesus kind of instructs us, and I want to unpack them for us today. But in order to do that, I need you to use your imagination if you're watching on home or here today in the room. I want you to imagine that God the Father is standing right here. I want you to imagine that Jesus the Son is standing right here and that you are standing right here. So you've got God the Father, Jesus, and then you. And I want us to read this verse again. I want us to kind of imagine as Jesus speaks, the first thing he says is, my father loved me. Jesus says, God the Father loved me. God who was full of love passed his love from his heart into the heart of his son. Jesus' prime identity here on earth as he was living out the life was that he was loved by his heavenly Father. You'll remember that moment when Jesus is being baptized and the heavens opened and the Lord spoke and said, this is my son whom I, whom I love. Jesus hadn't done anything yet, hadn't performed any miracles, hadn't given any great teachings that everybody was furiously trying to write down before they were over. God loved him. And Jesus lived out his earthly love from the fundamental foundation that I am beloved by my heavenly Father. And Jesus says, I've received that love. And I'm passing it on to you. I'm passing it on to you, my disciples, you and I here today. And in order for you and I to receive this love, Jesus says, you need to remain in it or abide in it or stay connected to it. And how do we do that? Well, the second thing Jesus says is we do that through obedience, through obedience. In other words, there's some things that you and I do that put, us in a, put ourselves in positions to receive the love that Jesus is trying to give us. Now, sadly, obedience too often just gets reduced to being moral, not doing a couple of bad sinful things, the things that are most sinful or seen by as most sinful in the church in, in whatever era you live in, or keeping the good commandments. And I'm not saying that those aren't bad things. But it's not what Jesus is imagining here. He's imagining something so much more profound and full. It's, the, it's a way of living that puts us in the best position to receive the love that God is directing our way, which requires both pruning or avoiding the things that draw us away from the Lord, like sin, 
But it also means doing the kind of things that point our life more in His direction, that allow us to draw near, to be in His presence. And we'll come back to those a little bit later. Thirdly, Jesus says, if you live from the starting point, that God loves you with this ridiculous, um, powerful, unconditional love, And then you then live your life trying to stop doing things that pull you away from Christ and doing things that kind of draw you closer to Him. There's going to be consequences. There's going to be consequences. And one of those consequences is you're going to experience the same joy that Jesus Himself experienced when He lived this out here in His life on earth. That the joy Jesus experiences in living his prime identity as loved by God, avoiding sin, drawing near to his Father as we watched him do throughout his ministry here on earth, brought him satisfying, complete joy. And he says that you and I can have that joy too. Now I'm curious, when you think of Jesus... Do you think of him as somebody who is full of joy? If you kind of imagine the face of Jesus from your readings of the scriptures and from your own experiences of of being and walking with him, do you think of Jesus as someone who was full of joy? You know, there's a Canadian pastor a number of years ago who was kind of commissioned to draw a, a sketching of Jesus, and he did, and it got him into a lot of trouble because he drew this. He entitled it, Laughing Jesus. And there were people that were very upset with him. Jesus did not laugh. Jesus was here doing serious things. Jesus died on a Roman cross for our sins. There is no way that Jesus had the kind of joy in his life that would cause him to laugh. Of course, the problem with that argument is Jesus, as we've just read in these verses in John chapter 15, said he was completely full of joy. These people who argued against this view, I think, maybe had this vision of Jesus, which was painted in the 11th century, kind of stern, suspicious Jesus. And maybe that's kind of a view of Jesus that you've grown up with as well. C.S. Lewis once wrote, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. It marked Jesus' life. And joy will be the fruit of reordering our lives so that we can remain closer to him. That as we do that, joy will be the gift that we receive. Let's go back to our analogy here of this lovely orchid. We can try to manufacture joy on our own by cleaning up our exterior, by doing all kinds of things that will present the right image to other people. Or we can do the kind of things that put ourselves and direct our energies in the right way, that put ourselves in positions whereby, external from ourselves, the power of God can come into our life, and the fruit of that power, the fruit of being in His presence, will be joy. If we attach our joy to things that expire, that go out of style, that rust, that fluctuate, then our joy is conditional. If we focus our energies on our exterior image, just trying to be good and trying to have the perfect Christian life, then our joy will be conditional. If we place ourselves in a space whereby there is an outside active force in the person of the Holy Spirit, we will see the fruit of joy in our lives. So how do we do that? Because I get the sense from my own life, and maybe you too, 
That appeals to me. <laughs> Having the joy of Jesus in my life appeals to me. Well, I want to take just the next few minutes and talk about practically what that might look like for you and I to embrace moments and a lifestyle and an attitude whereby we are remaining in the love of God and thereby experiencing the joy of Christ. I've actually created a handout. It's at the Welcome Center if you want it. Or if you're watching online, you can email the office on Monday and we will send it to you. So we're going to go into a little bit of a workshop mode. Is that okay? I don't care if you don't think it's okay because it's all I got right now for the next few minutes, so we're doing it anyways. But using these verses, John chapter 15, 9 to 11, Jesus gives us a little bit of a framework here for what it looks like to remain in his love and thereby experience joy. The first is, thing that I would say to you today is, when and where are you going to do this? You've heard me say this before, no one accidentally becomes a marathon runner. No one accidentally becomes great at painting or woodworking or learns another language. You don't accidentally do those things. You set your task and you say, this is going to be a priority, and you do the right things that will get you to those points. In the same way, if you and I want to be disciples of Jesus, and we want our lives to reflect him, then we have to do the right things that will get us there. And I would say to you, when and where are you going to set time aside to do this? Like the old Christmas hymn says, we are preparing him room. When is the best time for you to do this in your day? It's unique to each of you. Put it in your calendar. Put it in your schedule. If someone calls you, you say, I can't. I've got a meeting with somebody. Very important. Way more important than you. Um, But I can't meet you at this time. When? Where? Pick a good time, pick a good space. A space where that's going to be quiet, where you're going to have your undivided attention to the Lord. Turn off your cell phone. Tell other people if you need to, don't bug me. Give me 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 10 minutes. I just need to be away. When and where is this reflected in your calendar? Once you've got a time and a place, then Jesus kind of gives us an outline in these verses about what we might do to structure our time to get to this place. And the first thing he says is focusing on the love of God. We start by focusing and spending time in this time and space on the love of God. Now, I would say to you today that in my years of pastoral ministry, one of the things that I keep seeing again and again in my own life and in the lives of others is that I can imagine God's grace for you, no problem. But for me, it's harder. My assumption would be that this won't grow tiresome. Spending time focusing on the grace of God for each of us. Find a passage of Scripture. Find a passage of Scripture that speaks about the love and grace of God for you and start there. Read it. Read it out loud. Read it in different translations. I'd encourage you to read it at least three times. Write it out. Uh, make it the desktop on your, or the wallpaper on your computer. Um, you know, send it to yourself in a text message. <laughs> Do something to get those words about the grace and love of God deep into your heart. Because here's what each of us know. That you and I are bombarded by messages all week long that say, you are not good enough. You don't measure up. You didn't quite get it done. And it creates in us this sense of, I have to achieve something in order to be loved. 
contrary to that is the message of God's grace, which is without condition. And it is available to each and every one of us. And we need, if we're going to remain in the love of Christ so that we can experience his joy, start by soaking ourselves in the message of God's grace for each and every one of us. The second thing Jesus talked about was obedience. Obedience means two things. Number one, it means pruning. And secondly, it means adding. Pruning is about looking at our lives and saying, what needs to go? What is taking up way too much space? Or what is taking up an inordinate amount of space? It should take up this big, but it's really taking up this much, and it needs to be dialed back. What are the things that are taking away energy? They're distracting our attention. They're putting our minds in places that we're never going to get us towards experiencing kind of this kind of fullness of life in Christ. What needs to go? I was getting my winter tires put on this week, and so I was waiting across the street at a restaurant having a coffee while I waited. And uh, there was an older gentleman about 15 feet away, and he thought that we should have a conversation. So we got talking, and he pulls out his phone, and he starts showing me some pictures that his family had sent to him from Greece. And we started looking at them, and he said, this tree here, and he showed it to me, it's an olive tree. It's, It's olive season right now. They're shaking the trees, dropping the olives into nets. And he said, this tree is 3,000 years old. Well, immediately, I didn't believe him. I thought, that's impossible. So I get out my phone, and I'm, can trees be 3,000 years old? And I'm looking them up. And so I finally said to him, I said, how is it that a tree can stay alive for 3,000 years? And he said to me, ruthless pruning. Ruthless pruning pruning towards self again selfishly said sweet that will go with the sermon that i'm working on for this sunday so pruning what needs to go what needs to be less of in our lives that is pulling us away next part of obedience is now adding thinking about lord what are some things in my life that i need to spend more time doing what are some things i need to give myself to more fully more completely what's it going to look like for me to remain in your presence to abide in your presence i've given a bunch of examples on the sheet that are in the welcome center and you can look at those but jesus imagines the discipled life as this it's the ongoing work of pruning away the things that distract and pull us away and then adding things that draw us closer to the lord with the goal that we live our lives closer to christ and that as we do the fruit that gets born in our hearts is joy. If you're going to do this, let me just say one more thing to you. If you're going to take seriously this kind of spending time in His presence, digging away some things in the heart, adding some things, be gracious with yourself as you do so. Because this takes time. This is not something you figure out in a day or two. It's not easy, and it won't always feel like you're making progress, kind of like this plant. We can stare at it all day. We don't see much action. How many of you have ever decided to take up running or to go to the gym and start working out? January 2nd, this is the year. I've been saying it for 10 years, but this is the year. You wake up, you go to the gym, and you just are working on every machine. You're giving it. And you go home, and what happens when you wake up the next morning? Your body hates you. Everything hurts, right? And sometimes we can mistakenly interpret the message of that as, that was dumb, I shouldn't do it again. Or, this is a bad idea. But what your body is really saying to you is, this is unnatural behavior for me. 
I'm not used to this. And so give me a little bit of time as I adjust to this, grand, this new fetish or new idea that you have for my life. In the same way, if you're trying to take time to spend time quiet in the Lord's presence, but you've never spent quiet time anywhere, it's going to be a little bumpy. It might be a little painful and difficult because you're retraining your heart, you're retraining your mind, and it will inevitably take some time. Now, there's probably a few type A people here who are saying, okay, okay, okay. This is about finding joy in unexpected places. You have not yet talked about the unexpected place. Where is this unexpected place? I have talked about it. The unexpected place that we can find joy is it's in my heart. It's in your heart today. Who maybe shows up here tired and frustrated and discouraged and weary. And Jesus says, I'm going to take my joy that I get from remaining in God's love and obeying him, and I'm going to make it available to you. And not just a little bit, but complete joy. Jesus says, the joy I have found in remaining and rooted in my Father's love and living the life that he has created me to live has brought me great satisfying joy, and I make it available to you. And so the choice becomes ours. I'm going to invite the team to come back up here now at this time as we get ready to conclude. This is what Jesus wants for us. And as badly as I want it for me and as badly as I want it for you, Jesus wants it for you even more. Joy. Unspeakable joy. But it comes with a decision to live life as he's called us to live, to do the kind of things, to put ourselves in the right situations, to direct our energies in the proper way so that we can remain close to him and that as we do, joy will be the fruit of those things. And so today I'm going to invite you uh, to trade your sorrows and to choose joy. We're going to close this morning with uh, a wonderful song, and I'm going to invite you to stand and clap and stomp and ha yahoo, which I guess isn't technically singing or whatever it is you need to do to express this good news um, that God has joy for each one of us.